Hey everyone, welcome to The Geek Awakens, where the talk is geekier than showing up late to your own podcast because you're playing Harry Potter, ha- Harry Potter Wizards Unite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mitch, and joining me tonight is Matt. It wasn't me. Tabitha. It wasn't me either. And Lydia. It might have been. <laughs> okay, it was. So, um, so if you're the type of person to show up late because of mobile games, uh, be sure to subscribe to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, or Google Play. Also, uh, we just got on YouTube, so to subscribe to us there for uh, some fun videos from time to time. Uh, questions, comments, or concerns? Shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. Almost spilled my coffee. So, (laughs) on this episode, we've got titles from Lionforge and Oni Press to review, and news on a Hunger Games prequel. Later on, we accidentally break target. I mean, it wasn't really us. Was it? I mean, it wasn't me, because I haven't been to target in a while, but could have been. It might have been me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds right. (laughs) I'm going to have my mail forwarded there eventually. (laughs) Um, so before we begin tonight, uh, we do have a quick programming note. Uh, next week will be our last uh, show for a few weeks. Uh, we're going to spend the month of July kind of recharging to get ready for an exciting second half of the year. Uh, in the meantime, we'll still post news on social media and also do kind of like some behind the behind the scenes. Behind them. It is now. But we're going to do some behind-the-scenes work um, to at least appear more professional. <laughs> that just proved that that was a lie. Yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so. We Oops. can try, but can we? <laughs> I think we have tried. I think this is and, us trying. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best you're going to get. Well, we'd say we're sorry, but we're not. We're not. <laughs> we're, we're definitely not. So, um, so a couple... I, I want to start off because... And, and I'm sorry, Tabitha, you can go ahead and check out for a few minutes because Perfect. Um, it's, be been, <laughs> it's been an exciting week for Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> you should have known where I was going with that. I think everybody heard that eye roll first. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, you guys talked to me. You told me I could check out. <laughs> um, so. Not at Target. Too <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. soon. <laughs> Um, so, the social media embargo for Spider-Man Far From Home uh, has been lifted, um, and, and Buzz is really positive so far. So, clearly, Tapta was not there. Uh, wow! <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, critics are saying that Far From Home is one of the best Spider-Man movies ever made. It's the perfect follow-up to Endgame. Um, yeah, like... Uh, IndieWire deputy uh, editor of film Kate Erbland uh, said that it's funny and clever and filled with smart twists. Um, Also, Mike Ryan said that um, obviously with uh, Mysterio involved, there are some pretty bizarre scenes. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of cool. Also, I don't know if you've noticed um, starting on, I think it was Sunday, there was was that countdown. The countdown? Yeah. I did. So today... Reached zero. We got the announcement. We got the announcement. And it's that none of the J.J. Abrams and his son Henry are writing a five-issue Spider-Man miniseries that is debuting in September. Um, I am totally on board with this. Because J.J. I think it sounds like a cool idea. I don't know. Has J.J. ever done any comics? Or will this be his first foray into... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that he has. Okay. But, I mean... Essentially, his background and his the 
I don't know, the chops that he's got as a storyteller when it comes to movies. Um, and I don't really, I don't know anything about his son, but just his name being attached to it. I think this could be really cool. I'm intrigued to see what kind of story he's going to come up with, or they're going to come up with, for Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, really, the only other thing that they kind of announced was the, uh, the like uh, introduction of a new villain called Cadaverous. Hmm. Okay. But no, no kind of uh, information on who or what Cadaverous is. Might be a dead end. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we had one of those that early in the show. True. Did you tell her of the shame from last week? <coughs> she did. Who did I shame last week? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Didn't. I think I shamed you both. I think we did both got one. Did we both get shamed? Yeah, I think we and did. And no one okay. told me you guys were falling down the jobs. <clears throat> well, someone wasn't here, Madam Secretary. I'm sorry. I had a birthday party. It's all right. It's been updated. We're good. And you didn't And you didn't bring us leftover cake. Or margaritas. Most importantly, you didn't bring us any margaritas. I'm sorry. Or, I, didn't, I didn't have a margarita at the I've Chinese made it, restaurant. <laughs> a margarita cake yeah, is not good? It's, I've made cupcakes. It's not good. Ooh. It's like lime and like sugar on the top, and then you put like a little. Mm, it's not good. Mm. I've tried. I've tried twice. What about salt on the top? I'm not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, like make like a lime cupcake or whatever, like and yeah, like sprinkle some salt on top because you... right, but it's still a lime cupcake. Like it's still a cupcake at its core, so it is therefore sweet, just lime flavored. I'm not going to be able to make like a bitter. I mean, I can, but it's going to taste like trash. Do you want me to try that? <laughs> I mean, there was that margarita key lime pie idea that we had. Oh, that might be okay. I could put that in a cupcake form. Would that make you happy? <laughs> Ooh, a little miniature pie. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I any combination have... of margaritas, pies, and cupcakes is probably still going to make me happy. I'll, I'll see what I can do for our back-to-school episode that we have. There we go. <laughs> so. Once again, how do we end up on food? Oh, don't you worry. <laughs> There's more. There's yeah. a lot of food this There's, evening. Yeah. Ooh, sweet. <laughs> And a little savory, too. Um. <laughs> I have a head cold. I'm on one. You guys are in trouble. So. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Just keep your phone out, Lydia. <laughs> so, um, our, uh, our friends at Vault Comics have announced a new fantasy series. It's called Relics of Youth. Um, it's going to debut in, uh, in September. And it basically, it... Um, it involves uh, like the secrets of the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle. Uh, it's <laughs> that. <laughs> it's co-written by Chad uh, Rebman and screenwriter Matt Nicholas with artist Skylar Partridge. Uh, the quick uh, the quick description of it says that Ra- uh, Nat Rodriguez keeps dreaming of an island. Soon the dreams become waking visions. Alone and concerned, Nat uh, manages to locate other teenagers across the globe who share her intense obsession with the unmapped enclave. And then, the strangest part, each one of them wakes up one morning with a mysterious tattoo, a tattoo only the six of them can see. Now each of them knows, <laughs> no matter the obstacles in their way, they must discover the uh, this unknown paradise. Ooh. That, that sounds, cool. sounds so fun. See, that kind of stuff, I love that kind of stuff. Whether it's, you can make fun of me all you want. Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, mm-hmm. Bermuda Triangle, all that stuff, I love it. I would sit and watch shows and read books about that stuff all day long. Same. Like, I'm, and it's not, I, I realize this isn't quite the same thing. 
but it's in the same kind of vein, you know, like Bermuda Triangle, Bigfoot, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Same vein as like conspiracy theories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah. I don't necessarily believe a lot of conspiracy theories, but I love hearing about them. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing here. It's like let me let me hear how crazy you are. Let me judge your crazy. Right. See if it matches up to my own. It never will. <laughs> <laughs> sure won't. So. <laughs> Um, we got another email uh, earlier this week. It's from uh, Seen All Over Media, um, and it's about this new Kickstarter. It's called Mafiosa, and it is by uh, Sunshine uh, Barbito and uh, Deborah Corita. And uh, so let me let me see if I can pull up the Kickstarter to get uh, get a good total for you. So basically, um, it is about it's um, it takes place in the early 1900s, or I'm sorry, in in the 20s. Um, Nicoletta, the the protagonist in this story, her family came from uh, uh, from Sicily in the early 1900s, and when they came to America, they started a mob business, like you do. Um, Makes sense. Lucrative, yeah. I like it. But yeah, so she's the youngest of five children, and as she you know as she grows up, she's a tomboy, and as as an adult, she decides she wants to get into the family business, mm. and of course, her father does not want her to. Right. Um, but yeah, so basically it's, it's an idea like this, um, it's a story of kind of like talking about, um, you know, having that discussion of like gender, you know, norms or whatever, Mm -hmm. but in a completely different setting. Cause you don't have many stories, if any, about a woman in the mafia. Right. Mm -hmm. As of right now, the Kickstarter, it's got a $6,000 goal, which the, uh, the funding is going to be exclusively through this Kickstarter campaign. Of the six thousand dollars, they've raised one thousand four hundred and six, uh, but they've got twenty-seven days to go. Okay, long way to go. Yeah, but pretty good start. Yeah. Um, also, the the good thing about this, and it's kind of like one of those things that for me, it's um, what kind of gets me from to not back a lot of kickstarters mm-hmm. is just the fact that like, okay, well, cool, you want to do <laughs> issue one, but then what happens when you want to do issue two? Yeah. This story is self-contained to a single issue, so you know okay. you, there isn't that cool. you know, concern or whatever. So definitely uh, check that out. I'll post the link uh, in the description, cool. if I remember. Um, Send you a reminder. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, we got to read a couple things this week. Uh, first one from Lion Forge was uh, Stiletto Volume 1, um, and it centers on... Um, this detective uh, named Maynard, who is trying to solve the uh, the crime of well, I don't want to I don't want to give too much away because this doesn't come out until July tenth. Um, but he's trying to so- solve a crime of um, of uh, two fellow police officers. Mm. Turns out there's also a uh, a mole in the police department, so he's also trying to figure that out as well. Uh, what did you guys think about this? I guess I'll go first. Um, I I'm not gonna lie. Uh, this disappointed me a little bit. It seemed a little formulaic. I mean, the story was good. It was solid. But I kind of saw where things were going from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of hoping for a bigger twist as things went along. But, uh, I mean, the storytelling itself is good. It's a it's a solid plot. But like I said, I think I just it seemed a little too formulaic for me. Okay. Yeah, it was really predictable. Um... I liked the whole, like, noir style they were kind of going for, but it kind of felt like it fell a little short of that. And there were also parts of it where I think I was, I either thought I missed something or I think I was supposed to get something that I didn't. And when I got to the end of it, I was just kind of like, meh. 
I agree. It kind of felt like there was a few points where there was little holes. Yeah. Like like you said, either like, like did I miss something or was it just not there? Uh, I liked the art style of it, but story-wise, it like you said, it kind of lacked a bit for me. I I really liked the art style, but I did feel at times it was like it was almost like it was too dark. You know, like to see like some of the finer mm. details, and whether you know, and you know, with a with a story like this, probably intentional, you know. But uh, but yeah, I thought it was it, it was an interesting pace because it was a quick read, mm. but at the same and you know and, and I found myself you know like still like I, I found myself scrolling you know pretty quickly, but at the same time it's kind of like I almost wanted this to slow down. Yeah, I almost wanted volume one to end halfway. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, like, us get, like, some more details, get some more of a, of a backstory for some of these characters, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, you know, like, with um, with his partner, um, with Maynard's partner, like, you could tell that they had a long history. I want to see some more of that, that. history. Uh, one thing that I did really like about this was, like, the mix between, like, comedy and drama. Because there were, like, some, like, there, were, there was, like, a page where it was, like, some really heavy stuff, and then, oh, hey, here's this, like... This one panel that makes me laugh out loud, you know, intentionally. Um, but yeah, but like, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I, I see where you're coming from that you saw where they were go- never going. Mind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Sounded funny in my head. But um, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, at the same time, though, I mean, I, I did enjoy it. So uh, from Oni Press, uh, this also comes out in uh, July 10th. It was uh, Emmeline Night in Training. <laughs> this was this was a fun book. It's uh, definitely geared towards towards young kids um just you know like early readers and it basically it follows the story of emmeline and her fellow child knights which first off um i don't know if you should have kids that young being knights but i digress they're gonna start somewhere (laughs) usually they're considered like pages and squires first but you know why not but you know full-on armor let's do this (laughs) (laughs) but um it was and, you know, Emmeline's biggest problem is that she can't read. Her friends can. And she has to overcome that. I thought it was it was definitely, it was a cute story about overcoming obstacles, the importance of literacy, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I thought, I also thought, you know, even as somebody who doesn't have children, I thought that it was still like a, a good story that, you know, like, I think deserves a place among mm-hmm. like bedtime stories. Mm-hmm. So um, I know Matt and Tab also got a chance to read it. What do you think? I loved this. This was so cute. I like the kid nights. I thought it was adorable. Like, this whole thing was just like a cute little neatly wrapped up adventure. And there was a lesson and like a cute little moral story and a happy ending. And you're totally right. Like, I want someone to read it to me before bedtime. Like, (laughs) it was so cute. Like, even, like, right now, you want... I mean, if I could go to bed right now, I totally would, but I don't really think <laughs> you guys want to do that on air. <laughs> Matt, what'd you think? Um, I really enjoyed this. I loved it. It was great. It was, you know, just a little adventure. Um, I said the only thing I had, and this is probably me just being nitpicky as far as, like, being a creator and a writer, um, is that I know that she had to learn to read, um, and they were trying to head towards a goal... But when they get towards that goal, like, she read what she was supposed to, but it didn't really pertain to the story. It wasn't like, and this is, like, apples and oranges, you know, but, like, you know, um, Lord of the Rings, when they, you know, speak friend and enter, when they read Elvish. 
she gets there and she reads the thing that she needs to read and that's the end. I'm like, there wasn't really any significant... I, I was looking for some kind of significance to the story, to what she read, besides just the fact that she did the reading. Mm-hmm. But that's all in all, like as far as the story as a whole goes, very minor. So Much like the kid nights. The very minor. Minors. Are they evenings instead of nights? Yes. Okay. Still daylight out. <laughs> Twilight? Mm. No. They were shiny. <laughs> Everyone involved. <laughs> I didn't do it. No, not you. Everyone involved. <laughs> so then, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I would just like to point out that I think you're about halfway to what you had as a total last year. And we're Already. About, and we're about halfway through the yep. year, so I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> so. And I'm going to have, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to hit next, uh, last year's, because I mean, we're going to have a whole month off. It's a whole month where you can't shame me. Oh, don't you worry. <laughs> Since when? I'm not going to stop anything. Yeah, true. You're right. <laughs> You're right. come in here and shame you, like, open the door and leave. <laughs> I don't like that idea at all, actually. <laughs> so uh, that's your new alarm clock. So just tap the shame. Oh, here. then I gotta get up super early. I'm definitely not doing that. <laughs> so uh, let's start gut reaction. Um, I'm kind of tired of talking for right now. So um, Matt, let's start off with Godzilla. So Godzilla: King of the Monsters has just recently hit theaters, but director Michael Doherty was talking to Collider, and he has said that there is a director's cut that. Totals out at about two hours and 45 minutes. So he kind of thinks of it more as Godzilla the TV miniseries because <laughs> there's just that much more to it. Um, he said that not a whole lot of entire scenes uh, were lifted from the movie, but there are a few and they will be added to the Blu ray. So he's already you know, said that that's going to happen. Uh, roughly six to eight scenes ended up on the cutting floor, will go back in the film. Um, they said he was, they said, he said that they were cut for pacing. Tabitha and I have seen the movie and it, it, the new scenes are going to give some more insight into Monarch, the Russell family, and some of the lore behind the creatures. And having seen it, I think all of those things would be awesome additions to the film. I, I think that's a thumbs up for the extra content that he felt, you know, helps the story, even if it didn't help the pacing. Yeah. Six extra scenes are not going to get me to care about this movie. Thumbs down. <laughs> Lydia. <laughs> wow. Um, I hate to say it, but I don't really care much about this movie either. But I like the idea of putting things back in that will help with the plot. So I'm going to give the thumbs up. Definitely. Yeah. Like watching this, I didn't feel like anything was missing. But if I'm going to get more lore and more kind of like side story action other than just like monster fight scenes, which, by the way, were fantastic. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. Thumbs up. Um, Tabitha, let's grab some lunch of Good Burger. <laughs> Welcome to Good Burger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Home of the Good Burger. Can I take, take your order? order? <laughs> wow. So, Better have some orange soda. All right, continue. Do you love it? <laughs> do you? Do you? Do you? Um, Kel loves orange soda. <laughs> so what's the story about this? <laughs> <laughs> so, with the impending return of Nickelodeon's All That, um, Nickelodeon is going to be opening for a limited time in West Hollywood starting on July 10th a pop-up Good Burger restaurant where you can go and get your very own Good Burger. You can register now at goodburgerpopup.com, which... Do you have to register for pop-ups? Is that something I missed? I, 
don't know. Or is it just because it's West Hollywood like a week before yeah. Comic-Con and they know they're going to be overrun? Probably. That's probably the case. I know um, I was in Chicago when they had the Stranger Things pop-up bar. Mm-hmm. And we weren't necessarily, like, we didn't go there explicitly for that. But we were like, hey, we're in the neighborhood. Let's let's go. And, like, it's still kind of early in the night. Like, line down and around the corner. Oh, wow. So, I mean, and I, and I know that a lot of pop-ups are popular because... You know, for, for a multitude of reasons. So, I think it's a good idea to have, you know, like, to force you yeah. to register. Yeah, I like, the, I like the idea of registering. I just didn't know that was a thing. But, thumbs up. All that is super nostalgic for me. And I like the little pop-up things they do. I know it's a giant marketing scheme, but, yeah, let's try with a little marketing. <laughs> Matt, I love all that. And the Good Burger bits were some of my favorites, so thumbs up to this idea. Yeah, uh, thumbs up. I love the fact that they are giving Kel Mitchell a summer job. <laughs> <laughs> For the uh, burgers. <laughs> sad. Uh, thumbs up. It's, it's, it's fun. So, um, Matt, let's uh, let's go uh, old school with some gaming consoles. The retro gaming consoles are... Well, retro gaming is kind of a thing now, but so are the mini retro gaming consoles. We've had the NES, the SNES... Uh, Sega's got one, but during E3, Konami revealed that there's another one coming. This is a small, not very well-known one, but the TurboGrafx-16 is getting a mini version. My uncle had a TurboGrafx-16 when I was a kid. That was like my favorite part of going to their house, was to be able to play this system that nobody else had heard of and nobody else had. I loved it. It is going to be HD compatible with... You know, your regular TVs, uh, but it will maintain the old school 4x3 aspect ratio that the old system had, um, but it'll run through current HDMI ports, so updated graphics. There is currently no release date, and they have only announced six games so far for this. R-Type, Ninja Spirit, Dungeon Explorer, Alien Island, New Island Adventure, and YS Book 1 and 2. As much as I haven't hopped on any of those other mini retro gaming consoles ideas, this one I absolutely love. I can't wait to see the final list. Thumbs up for me. Yeah, I've never even heard of this before, but it sounds it sounds fun. Thumbs up. Lydia. I'll be honest, as much of a gamer as I am, I don't know what this is either, but I love the different like retro things that they're bringing back so you can play those older games like that. So giving access to older games like that is definitely a thumbs up for me. Definitely. Yeah, same. I have no idea what this is, but I like <laughs> I like among the things that they're rebooting and bringing back. I like these retro games that they're bringing back. So thumbs up. Been kind of a thing uh, over the past few years where game developers have been trying to unionize, growing concerns over layoffs, burnout in the industry, etc. Uh, none other than uh, Democratic presidential candidate. Candidate. Uh, well, he's not the candidate. He wants to be the candidate. He wants to be the candidate. Uh, contender. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the other C word, not wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Today on NPR. <laughs> Remember how we were going to try to be more professional? <laughs> so, um, none other than Bernie Sanders has come out in support of uh, uh, these game developers. He said in a tweet that the video game industry made $43 billion in revenue last year. Uh, the workers responsible for that profit deserve to collectively bargain as part of a union. Uh, I'm glad to see unions like at IATSE, which is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, and the broader at Game Workers Movement organizing such efforts. 
Um, so the IATSE went on to say that too often workers in the entertainment industry are underpaid and overworked because they are so passionate by, about their crafts. Uh, by joining together and negotiating as a group, we can make our workplaces better. Thumbs up. I mean, it's, you know, whether whether or not, you, you know, uh, forming a union will make matters better for, you know, game developers, just the simple fact that they're trying is cool for me. So, Lydia. This is awesome to me because... Politicians are so often against anything to do with games that I just like this idea that he's for helping the people that make them. So, thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. I am neither pro or anti-union, but I like this idea for them because they are, in this day and age, definitely an overworked industry. So, thumbs up. Matt. I mean, as far as getting them some... Getting video game developers and programmers... Some sort of security, I think, is very important um, because how often? I mean, we've had countless stories, you know, over the couple of years of <clears throat> you know developers shutting their doors and these developer and you know, these these programmers just like, well, like what was the last one we had? It was like, hey, you got a half an hour, we're closing. Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> three hundred people out of a job. Like that's not fair to anybody. And if that's what it takes to get them some sort of semblance of Fairness, so that they aren't just like walk up to the walk up to work and find the doors locked. Then I'm gonna say thumbs up for that idea. Yeah, Tabitha, let's read about some hungry ghosts. Okay, you confused me because I have so many food stories, and then <laughs> <laughs> some of them have the word hungry in them. And I'm just confused. Okay, so Anthony Bourdain uh, evidently wrote a graphic novel. I didn't know that. I ran across this at one point. Yeah, had no clue. Um, and Sony Pictures Am- Animation has picked up this graphic novel to develop as a TV series. Um, the graphic novel is published by Dark Horse and written by Bourdain and Joel Rose back in 2018. Straight from the article, they're telling us that the TV show will be an anthology of frightening, hilarious, twisted, and culinary-inspired ghost stories. It reimagines the classic stories of yokai, yorai, and something. Lydia. <laughs> Obake, sure. Uh, also known as Ghost Phantom and Shapeshifters. Um, <laughs> tainted with the common thread of food. Um, we have no dates of production or release yet, but I really want to look into this graphic novel. Like, I've read one of Anthony Overdane's travel books, and it was fantastic. So I kind of want to see how this is done before it becomes a TV series, so thumbs up. Matt. I'm not going to lie, this sounds weird. Like, it just does. The Japanese folklore mixed with food, Anthony Bourdain... I wrote a graphic novel. Uh, what? I, I'm a little confused. I'm gonna go thumbs sideways on this until we find out more. Yeah, I I think I'm gonna give this a thumb sideways. It definitely sounds interesting. I think I would want to read the graphic novel before I ever got around to deciding about the TV series. Lydia, it does sound weird, but I like it. <laughs> Japanese folklore and food and yeah, this that sounds fun. Give me that thumbs up. <laughs> So one of the biggest complaints in about comic books and the comic book industry is how to deal with um, you. You either have to try to track down each individual issue of a certain arc, mm. or you have to wait for what seeming what seems like sixteen years for it to come out as a collected graphic novel. Uh, well, there's a new um, publisher. It's called a, a a Wave Blue World that is trying to fix that. So they've got two. Um, release is coming out in October. Uh, it's Mezzo and Dead Legends. So, the... And this is called the Premier Number 1 Program. 
what will happen is the the number one issue will come out. And then at that point, readers can either follow a serialized version of the story digitally with issues re, uh, being released on a bi-weekly schedule, or they can wait for the completed print edition collection of the entire series released within two months of the initial issue. Okay. Wow. So, so essentially, like, this, you know, these stories are already done, and mm-hmm. it's just, you know, definite thumbs up for that. Just the idea of, you know, just not having to wait nearly as long, and also knowing, like, hey, this will be out soon, you know, as opposed to, like, you know, I, I joked, but, like, you know, like, normally, six months to a year right. is what you're waiting, you know. So to not have to wait that long for for a story, whether it's indie or whatever, uh, I'm totally down for. So, to, or Lydia. <laughs> Definite thumbs up. Uh, like I told you before, one of the reasons I don't get into comics so much is because I get such a tiny snippet and then it's over and I don't know where the next one is or when it's coming out or all that. So the idea of having it all compacted right there ready for me is definitely a good thing for me. <laughs> I have similar struggles with single issue comics, which is why I typically don't read them until they come out because... I can't remember what I read last week. Come on. So I like this idea. This is wonderful, especially for people like Lydia and I who can't just read a single issue and then be like, oh, two weeks later, be like, oh, what was that about again? And I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Matt? Yeah, I'm definitely going to say thumbs up on this idea because there are some serious, I I guess I hate to say issues, (laughs) Um, but with some of those things, when it comes to like the single issue comics, I mean... I mean, I hate to I hate to poke at it. I kind of do, but like Doomsday Clock was supposed to be done last December. Yeah, it was supposed to be twelve issues once a month, and now they're talking issue twelve might not come out until September or August. Yeah, I'm like, this is almost a two year project now. I love the idea of knowing that these stories are done and ready to go, and you're not going to have to wait two years to get the conclusion. So thumbs yeah. up. So a reporter for comicbook.com talked to Kevin Feige talking about like if America's current uh, bay or whatever, um, Keanu Reeves. And, he, and the reporter asked uh, Feige if Marvel Studios was planning to do anything with Reeves. And he said that we talk to him for almost every film we make. I don't know when, if, or ever he'll join the MCU, but we very much want to figure out the right way to do it. Um, I'm going a thumb sideways on this one because, I mean, with, with Keanu, I mean, yeah, he is kind of like the, the flavor of the week, but, I mean, he, he's always kind of been in the spotlight, but, like, the last few weeks, it's like you can't escape the guy. Um, but um, I've never I've never questioned Marvel's casting before, so I'm sure that they would cast him in the right role. But at the same time, it's like, I don't think that the MCU needs Keanu Reeves. So, Lydia. I like how you basically just said that he's, like, the soup of the day for the internet. But it's pretty much true. So, uh, yeah, thumb sideways because I feel like they're just kind of jumping on a bandwagon trying to get whatever the internet likes next. (laughs) So, it's Keanu. Or do you really need to call Keanu for every movie you make? Keanu is the next Spider-Man, or dear Keanu, do you want to be in Black Panther? Like, do you want to be T'Challa? <laughs> <laughs> no, he does not. You sure? Did you? He ask might him? be. He might want to be. Kevin Feige did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to. Keanu is just Keanu, no matter what he does. So, can we just make Keanu like a superhero, and we can just have a Keanu as Keanu in a superhero movie, and we can all just carry on? Let's get John Wick into the MCU. No, Matt. 
I mean, to be no. fair, Keanu basically plays the same character in every movie. It's just more or less guns. <laughs> so, I understand the trepidation. I guess I go back with what Mitch said. You know, they have they miscast anybody as of yet? Um, I don't know that they need to talk to him about every movie that they're doing, but I trust the MCU and Kevin Feige and Marvel if they want to include Keanu to find the right role for him. So for that idea, thumbs up. Tabitha, let's get some Big Macs. Well, if we were in San Diego, we could have them drop to us via drone. But alas, we are not. San Diego is testing out... Uh, San Diego McDonald's is testing out uh, u- utilizing Uber Elevate, which is essentially a drone that brings you your food instead of a person that brings you your food. Um, they're hoping to cut down delivery time in eye traffic areas because in San Diego, it can take up to 20 minutes to go about a mile and a half. So with this, that delivery time could then be down to seven minutes. Um, hmm. These drones can go can go 70 miles per hour. And evidently, are for now, going to cost the same as Uber Eats deliveries. This has not yet been approved by the FDA, but they're <laughs> trying. And there's some speculation floating around the internet that they're trying to do this pre-Comic-Con to make delivery time easier. Mm. So you don't have to walk six blocks to go get a pizza in your cosplay. Like... <laughs> But that's fun. <laughs> it's probably not in San Diego because you can't move. <laughs> thumbs sideways. Thumbs up for the like utilization of the drone for something good slash McDonald's. Um, but <laughs> thumbs down for robots taking over the world. So I'm right in the middle. <laughs> Matt. Yeah, I, I go back and forth on whether this would be helpful. I worry about, you know, the drone not... Something going wrong with the drone and slicing the blade, you know, collapsing and slicing, not the food, but, you know, the person that's delivering. Right, exactly. So that that kind of worries me, especially in a highly crowded area like that. And, I mean, we've seen, what, athletes that like to screw around with drones, like, hurt themselves to the point to be put on, like, disabled lists and injured lists because they were screwing around with, you know, drone blades. So that over a highly populated area, carrying food, uh, that kind of sounds like a recipe for disaster. So I'm going to go thumbs down. Yeah, I I was going to go thumbs sideways until you pointed that out. Uh, Yeah, that coupled with the whole idea of, you know, robots taking over the world. (laughs) And plus, I feel like... Now we have your food. Right. (laughs) Oh, no. Right? I feel like... Mix this with Flippy and we're all screwed. (laughs) I feel like uh, our old friend Chuck would have a very serious problem with this, so uh, for him, I'm going to say thumbs down. Uh, <laughs> I guess I don't get an opinion. Oh, I'm sorry. You, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you want one? Nah, good. Lydia, please. I mean, I had a split second thought of if it like crashed into a building and just all of a sudden there's food raining down from above. That would be kind of amusing. French fries, pretty yeah. fries. <laughs> But anyway, no, thumbs down. Just bring me my food by foot, even if it takes 20 minutes. God, 20 minute old McDonald's, so it's not even worth it. <laughs> no. Depends no, on our hunger. You're how right. Hungover we are. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, last story for gut reaction. So, uh, a politician in Pakistan uh, did a live stream on Facebook, they did a press conference. And uh, I'm going to apologize for mispronouncing his name, but uh, Shukat Yusufazi? I messed it up earlier. I'm going to mess it up now. (laughs) So um, 
so he was talking and um, somebody accidentally turned on the cat filter. So he, on Facebook Live, had cat filters and some people in the background also looked like cats for a little bit. Um, so the uh, it was deleted minutes after the press conference, but he did take it in stride. He said that um, it was a human error that shouldn't be taken so seriously. For, for him... Being good sport about it, yes, definitely a thumbs up. At the same time, there's no... I, I, I mean, yes, I'm sure that this was a mistake. I'm not saying that somebody was trying to be like overthrow him or anything by this. <laughs> but um, That's overth- how we overthrow the government. <laughs> yes. Cat filters. Yes. I mean, you've seen some of the the officials that we have. They, they'd get kind of bent out of shape about it, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's... This could have been easily prevented, is all I'm saying. So for that, I'm going to go have to go thumbs down, but thumbs up for the uh, for the response. Lydia? I love that this, like, was taken in stride by him, and I love that everybody got to be cats for, like, a split second, so thumbs up just all around. <laughs> Tap them. Yeah, giant thumbs up. It's always been my dream to be a cat, even if it's just for a few seconds, so this guy just really got to live one of my greatest dreams, so he's welcome. <laughs> Matt. I mean, you gotta do what you can to make parliamentary hearings more interesting, right? <laughs> Even if it's a cat filter. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. No, but, like, thumbs up to this guy for jumping on this and knocking the internet down a peg, essentially, so that, like, hey, this was my bad, you know, I did this. So Because this is one of those things that get very easily... Because, you know, the internet. Once it's out there, it's out there, whether you delete it or not. You could have made a villain of him very quickly, and he kind of jumped on that to avoid that happening. So, thumbs up. So his political career still has eight more lives. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so Matt, let's talk uh, Daredevil for a minute. So or eleven minutes for eleven minutes. We could do that. No, eleven minutes is a long time. So as we all know, all of the Netflix and Marvel shows got canceled. But during the last season of Daredevil, there was an eleven-minute one-shot fight scene. So no cuts, one take beginning to end, one camera. They tried to submit this for an Emmy for a stunt sequence, and they were essentially denied because the Emmys have a limit of a three-minute sequence. Which, I'm sorry. 11 minutes, one take, one shot. You gotta bend the rules for that. Or something. Like, find a way to be able to include that, because that's incredible like they don't even do like it's a big deal when they do tv shows a 22 minute or 30 minute you know sitcom you know one take like i remember they made the the one mad about you episode that was one take you know with them sitting outside the the bedroom door and that was like a huge deal because they did it in one take one camera whatever and this is a fight scene you got to find a way to get this included because that's incredible. And it's a shame that it can't be recognized by anything other than the internet now for what it is. Yeah, but if you give them credit for it and you let them do it, someone's going to make an episode of, like, My Little Pony or something with, like, a really sad scene. And it's going to be 12 <laughs> minutes long and they're going to be able to fight for it, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% see where you're coming from, yeah. Matt. But I, I do agree with, uh, with Tabitha on this one. Like... It it sucks because yeah I mean just just thinking about like the behind the scenes aspect of it like how much planning and practice that took and even though they only have 
you know, it was a shot in one take. How many times, how many takes did it actually take, you know, where somebody accidentally screwed up and, oh, Gaston all over again. Yeah. So, like, I understand that. But, yeah, at the same time, absolutely. Like, rules are rules and they're there for a reason. And it sucks that it went over by, you know, went over the time. It'd be one thing. If it was like a three and a half minute, right. you know, right. fight scene, then I'd be like, okay, come on, Indies. Like, you know, give him yeah. a little bit of slack. But 11 minutes, eight, like... Eight minutes <sighs> over. Yeah. Yeah, that does that does suck, though. I do kind of... Even though, like, I never watched anything past the first episode of Daredevil, I do want to go back, like, and just see this fight sequence. I mean, I can only imagine, because one of the best... I've seen the first two seasons. I've not seen season three, where this is towards the end of the season. But there is a fight sequence... Where it's early on in the first season, and he's in a hallway, and like I don't know how many how many takes, how many cuts, how many cameras, but even that fight scene alone was like like that pretty much hooked me into the rest of the show. I'm like, I need to watch this guy beat the crap out of people for another season. Like this is awesome. That said, though, like is that too long of a fight sequence? I mean, I that's... don't know. Lord of the Rings battle was like 700 years long, and I sat there through the whole thing <laughs> holding a breath. I didn't know I was holding so. But see, like, <laughs> I feel like it's different for movies versus TV. Yeah. Movies, I'm, I think I'd be more okay with, but a TV show, like, that's, you know, like, and granted, I, it's Netflix, so they can kind of play with the the length of the episode. But I mean, if it's, you know, if Daredevil was on, like, broadcast TV, mm. that's a quarter of the episode. Yeah. You know, that's just in one take with a fight scene. I don't know if there's dialogue or anything like that included, like... A lot of grunting. True. <laughs> If it was on Showtime, it'd be a completely different series. Uh, <laughs> or HBO. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so you, on HBO. you ready to go? Here, you and me? Let's, yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe I will see you guys later. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, oh, are you going out to get the uh, Hunger Games prequel? <laughs> Moments like this, I wish we were still on camera. <laughs> so, my notes literally say... Because Suzanne Collins may not know how to write, but she knows how to milk a cash cow. We're getting a <laughs> Hunger Games prequel novel in May of 2020. And, spoiler alert, Lionsgate is already in talks for a movie. Surprise. Right. So, it's supposedly set 64 years before the events of the Hunger Games trilogy. There's tons of speculation on who or what this is about floating around, like, the internet and especially, like, the bookish community. Like, if I have to hear about this one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. There's nothing confirmed. We just know it's happening. I read the original Hunger Games. I watched the first movie. They did get progressively, I mean, the books got progressively better Mm -hmm. as they went on. But unless she's written about 17 books between that third book and this prequel, I don't want anything to do with this. Like, it reads like Wattpad fiction. It always has. It does. It's true. it's a great story. It just, it needed a better, it needed a better writer. I actually prefer the first movie to the first book, and that never happens to me. And that's rough, because the first movie was not that great. No. Part of the reason, I think, for that, and I'm going to go book nerd here, is it because it was written in present tense, which yeah. is so hard to do well. And it's so hard to read. It's very hard to read. If it's done well, you can read it flawlessly like it's not even in present tense but done even not fantastically makes it hard to read and jarring Suzanne Collins came along at the time where people were starting to finally realize that Twilight was trash and she was like (laughs) 
what can I do? That's a little bit better. That's a little bit better. <laughs> the people are going to like. And she was like, how about this? And it's like this 90 pound girl who can literally do everything and lift 700 pounds of boxes over her head should be fine. She's not superhuman or anything. She's totally normal. And guess what? She's being starved. So she's in great shape. Like it's just those books are so full of plot holes and unnecessary dialogue that it's it's awful. Like I just it's so bad. I don't need this to happen. I, I'm also concerned why the arbitrary sixty four years. Yeah, I was just wondering the well, same thing. If I remember correctly, at the very end, like when they figure out like what's going on or whatever, like spoilers, it's not super real. But um <sighs> <laughs> Um I'm kind of wondering if it's the lead up to like like after the first like reaping or whatever they call oh, it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, like District 12 or whatever has fallen, and this is their basically how they got to doing the reaping. Yeah, Yeah. Hmm. that's kind of what I'm wondering. And in that case, the worst parts of those books were the political parts where she was like trying to use like European history as like some kind of background. And I was like, you need to pick a country, like, (laughs) you can't be in France, Austria, and England all at the same time. You gotta pick one (laughs) because the reason those aren't a conglomerate is because they don't work well together. <laughs> Get off my soapbox now. So like it's not it's not quite the Hunger Games yet. It's just the kind of Hunger Games. It's like the peckish games. <laughs> the eh, I could eat games. <laughs> <laughs> They're like I don't know. Are you hungry? <laughs> I'm ready for a stat game. Yeah, I could maybe eat like an appetizer, <laughs> but I'm not ready for a full meal. <laughs> the you want to split some mozzarella sticks games. <laughs> The answer to that question is literally always yes. So I don't think this counts for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that was fun. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do just a couple more stories. Tabitha, let's uh, stick with you. And I apologize. I never got around to coming up with a soundbite for it. But let's go to the Lin-Manuel Miranda news desk. All right. So we've talked, uh, we, I have talked about how <laughs> they're making the In the Heights movie. Lynn announced on Twitter last week that he's going to be playing the Paragua guy from In the Heights. Basically, he walks around with snow cones. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a whole song, and I've had that whole Paragua song stuck in my head ever since they announced this. Like, I'll, sit, I'll like catch myself like bouncing, and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, oh, ice cold Paragua. I get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was worried that he wasn't going to have any role in this since he wasn't going to play like Usnavi, which was his original role. And then he said he was too old. He thought to play any of the like friends because they're all, you know, relatively young and he's not old enough to play any of the parents. So I was like, well, who's the, like, what's Lynn going to do? Like, I'm all <laughs> upset. But no, Lynn has a role and I'm very happy about it. <laughs> so you're going to be able to sleep tonight? Yeah. Yeah, I've been sleeping better since I found out this week. Well, good. Matt, uh, what happened at Target? So, on June 15th, which I also, interestingly enough, found out about this from my parents because they were in Target when this happened. Oh. oh first with, hand account. Uh, yeah, with my boys, right, trying to, ca- trying to check out, and all of the registers crashed. Not just in one target, not just in a small section of the country, globally. Oh my god. Somebody pushed the wrong button. Right? <laughs> Somebody pushed the red button. Somebody turned on cat filters. Somebody pushed the red bullseye. The red bullseye. Oh, don't push the red bullseye button. But it's shiny. Oh. So obviously, people were freaking out, posting all over social media. 
Because people do that. Because people do that. And long story short, eventually it got fixed. It was not a hack. It wasn't anything malicious. Um, it was just an issue with the system. But it literally hit every target everywhere all at the same time. That's really good. Um, people were in line for hours <laughs> trying to get their stuff checked out. I'm, I'm not, sorry. I would no. never do that. Right. No. The moment I found out what was going on, like, I'm not the type of person to just, like, leave my stuff just there. Like, yeah. I would politely go back and return my items and be like, I'll come back tomorrow. Well, that was, there was one, there was one Twitter, I think, response that was out there. And it was basically this woman going, this will be the one time in my life I walk out of Target without spending more than $100. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> like, I go in there for, like, cat food and paper towels, and I come out, and I'm like, what was I here to get? And I look at my cart, and I've got 37 candles and 26 storage boxes and a rug, and I'm like, cat and no food. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, not worth it. Cats don't need to eat. I'm going home. <laughs> I don't know. They, they fixed it. Um, there were some store employees that were kind enough. Through their mobile phone, personal mobile phones, they could key in the barcodes for customers and process transactions that way, um, which made things take even longer. There were some super nice employees that did that. But in general, I mean, it was the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. And nobody was feeling fine. No. <laughs> one of my, You're welcome. <laughs> one of my favorite things, because uh, the article that you shared had a bunch of tweets referring to <laughs> yeah. the hashtag target down. Um, one, one came from Bridget, who is at B Shops. Uh, she says, my beloved, we, were, we are entrenched in aisle three between the deodorant and the razors. Tensions are high, and the ice cream is melting. Melting. They have provided us popcorn and green tea, but rations are fast diminishing. <laughs> How I wish we had gone to Walmart. <laughs> Pray for us. Aww. That's some you stuff. Yeah, it is. So poetic. Yeah. And dramatic. <laughs> Me? Yeah. What? <laughs> so, all right, so we got time for one more story. Uh, do you guys want to talk about Mountain Dew and KFC teaming up? O.J. Simpson totally rocking Twitter, or a new video game where you can seduce uh, Joseph Stalin. I I'm what? Not sure. What? And I don't want to have any nightmares. That sounds so wrong. Ew. It sounds Ew. so wrong, but I'm so intrigued. Oh, so we got one vote. Go ahead. If I have a nightmare, I'm calling you and waking you up. That's fine. <laughs> so. I'm driving to your house, banging on your door in Russian. <laughs> so there, there's a new video game that's coming out in October, and it is called Sex with Stalin. Of course no. it is. No. Of course it is. <laughs> I need an adult. So, <laughs> you're not going to find one here. No. In this game, you take on the role of a, quote, young time traveler, and you get to meet up with Stalin. Um, depending on your mood, you can either show him, quote, real love, or you can also hit him in the stomach, or, or plug the electricity into his nipples. Those are vastly what? different possibilities. Vastly different possibilities. I mean, it depends on, I guess, what Stalin's into. <laughs> Now's your chance to find out. You're the one who likes history. Not that kind. Like, if I was a time traveler, you know what the last thing that would be on my mind would be? Sex with Stalin. <laughs> nowhere near my list. I feel like this was a Cards Against Humanity game gone, like, really, really wrong. <laughs> um, the game is from Russian developer uh, named Boobs Dev. 
Um, this is this is a so. <laughs> this is just a little <laughs> taste of the game. Oh no! <laughs> Don't worry, Lydia. Now I'm coming to Mitch's house to scream at him. <laughs> yeah, I might have to as well. But yeah. So the uh, the head of the Central Committee of uh, the Communists of Russia has called for the outrageous and perverted game to be banned. Please. Okay, Russia, hold please, though. You don't really get to tell people what to do if you don't like it. We saw how well that went once. The answer was not good. To be fair, they also, uh, I don't remember which game it was, but they removed his uh, Hitler's mustache for the Russian version. So, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Once World War II, we weren't there. Nothing happened. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just saying, though, as a time traveler, I mean, if, if Doctor Who has taught me nothing, sometimes you don't go where you want to go, you go where... You need to go? Yeah. When am I ever going to need to sleep with <laughs> Joseph Stalin? Like, what is that going to accomplish? Not like, only that, but if you, even if it takes you to that time period, but you don't have to go there. Right. Like, unless it drops me off, like, on top of Joseph Stalin, and, like, as I fall out of the TARDIS, I'm naked. Like, I don't perceive <laughs> He's like, oh, a miracle. Like... <laughs> If I get out, the, like, I know that that's the path that's leading me on. I'm just going to go home. <laughs> but what if that's your only way home? <laughs> then I live in Russia. <laughs> I, I brush up on my language, and I start eating borscht, and I just can't. <laughs> I get used to the cold. I don't... <laughs> what are my other options? I mean, really? <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I'm not coming back. <laughs> And if you ever do, you've got some very interesting stories. <laughs> that no one wants to hear. Because of Russia. <laughs> Let me bring them back anyway. <laughs> Is it too late to say I'm Anastasia Romanoff? Like, <laughs> too late? <laughs> it's weird that you bring her up. So Strange. Okay. Okay, so you remember the movie, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And you remember, like, the, uh... The super historically accurate one, right? Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm more, like, I'm more talking about, like, the song that was used for the soundtrack. Uh, yeah. Donna Lewis, Richard Marks. Yeah. I was getting groceries last night after work, and that song, like, Schnooks was playing that song. They were playing at the beginning? Yeah. And it's been stuck in my head ever since. Hmm. I mean, it's a catchy tune. It is it a is. catchy tune. But still. It's a random song we're playing in the <laughs> part. Very weird song to be playing in Schnooks. Maybe that song can be included to the soundtrack to Sex with Stalin. Can it not? That's, no. <laughs> don't, don't do Anastasia like that. That's rude. <laughs> I mean, not a giant fan of that movie. Because <laughs> people, unlike the expectations, because then everyone you meet, they're like, did you know she survived? And I'm like, did you know you're a moron? <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, have you seen the Disney movie? Yeah, she totally lived. It sucks. That's not real. Okay, so she's dead. Very dead. She died with her what? family. I mean, Goodbye. that was a long time ago, so. People are, like, I've had people argue with me, but, like, she, like, lived, grew up, and, like, they tried to, like, hide her away in Russia, which is not hard because Russia. I have. I've had people argue with me that Anastasia lived. I'm like, oh, don't do this to yourself, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes to destroy you, which is nine minutes longer than it took them to destroy Anastasia. Oh, that was me dropping my mic. Wow, <laughs> wow. I have a lot of feelings about the Romanov family. <laughs> so, before before we trigger anything and we have like a three hour episode, um, <laughs> what are you talking? About? 
So that's all the time we have for this episode of Geek Awakens. Uh, we'll be back next week, but in the meantime, we'll be posting news on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, so be sure to follow us there. While you're there, give us some feedback and tell us what cool stuff we're missing out on. From all of us at the Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll be back next week. Everybody, say bye. Bye! bye.